One of the things that I love most about fair trade and ethical fashion and handmade products is not just how beautiful and unique they are, but I love the stories and traditions behind so many of these products. It's not just a necklace that's beautiful. It tells the story of an ancient art form in a particular region around the world. There are so many beautiful stories that can be told through the things that we wear. And my guest today is trying to continue that movement through her incredible fair trade brand. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show's all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Wen King, the founder of the fair trade brand Rover and Kin. Now, I met Wen at the Fair Trade Federation Conference back in March, and I immediately fell in love with her personality, her brand, and her gorgeous products. So I knew I wanted to have her on the show. And I know that you are going to love this conversation and fall in love with Rover and Kin. So, on to my conversation with Wen. Hey, Wen. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Uh, So I want to just say how we met. And if anybody listened to my recap episode from the Fair Trade Federation Conference, then they are already familiar with you. And then really, if they follow me on social media, they already are familiar with your brand, Rover and Kin. (laughs) And um, so I want to just like tell the story of of how I literally stumbled upon you and your brand. Um, so I was walking around the expo at the Fair Trade Federation Conference, and I was just you know admiring all the beautiful Fair Trade goodness. And I remember, like in the big, you know, it, it, for the listeners, kind of picture you know a big kind of hotel ballroom type room that's set up with. Um, you know, six foot tables with different brands at each one, um, you know, different fair trade companies. And so when you walked in the main door and you kind of you could kind of go down, I think it was like three different aisles. So I went, you know, to the left and I went down that aisle and your table was like all the way at the back um, of that first row. And so I remember I was just kind of like admiring the different companies and I was walking down that aisle and I literally just was like, <laughs> and like stopped and saw it was first I saw your clothing rack and with some of your pieces and I saw this striped jumpsuit and I was like oh my gosh that is amazing and or it was just a or maybe it was just a regular jumpsuit I don't know it was a jumpsuit I can picture it was it had, had a striped one too yeah it was the, so it was the striped one because it was like a blue like a blue pinstripe mm-hmm. kind yeah. of yeah yeah so right. I, I see the striped jumpsuit and I was like oh my goodness, that thing is beautiful. And then I continued to turn around and there was your table. And I I think I literally stopped and was just like, hi, I'm Molly. I love everything on your table. <laughs> and probably was being, I was probably being like really creepy. Um, and then I just, I, I proceeded to like admire all the pieces at your table for the next 20 minutes and then talk to you a little bit about and then I learned that you're like a baby company I mean all all these Mm -hmm. things we're going to get into all of it but I I remember telling you this then and I will say it again now um you just have an 
unbelievable eye for design and your products are gorgeous and speak for themselves and then the fact that it's fair trade is just like the icing on the cake um but you just clearly know what you're doing (laughs) even though that and I'm encouraging you because I know I have so many friends who are entrepreneurs especially in the fair trade space and they're like I have no what I I do what I'm doing um and so I just want to encourage you that like you are playing it real well because you look like you know what you're doing (laughs) thank you even if you feel like you maybe you don't um so anyway so that's my quick story of how I came across you and then I after talking for a few minutes I was like I need to have you on my podcast because I need to know your story so um that's a very long-winded intro um but I enjoyed listening to it thank you Uh, so when I'm going to have you give us the when 101. So tell us all about who you are, what you do and how you started Rover and Kin. All right. Um, I'm just wondering how far back I should rewind. (laughs) Um. Kind of think about like where, you know, if you, if there's like a particular thing in your mind that says like, this is the kind of catalyst that led me to Mm -hmm. eventually starting Rover. Yeah. So I guess I would have to go all the way back um, almost a decade. Um, even though this business is very new, how I got there kind of took a while. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I guess for me, after after college, um, I was faced with the decision to either go to grad school, more education, but I was a horrible student, or um, either go back to school or kind of look for an entry level job. And neither of those options really spoke to me. Um, And so I decided to do something completely different and move to India. Um, And so I went there and I stayed for a very long time. Um, This was in the stage of my life where I I had the travel bug um, and I just went everywhere all the time whenever I could. Um, And I found this little town in northern India that I really liked. And I ended up staying there and starting my first business, um, which was this community cafe called Common Ground, um, where we had food and drinks and coffee and everything. But we also had a lot of different community events. Um, We had screenings, discussions, different classes and workshops and all sorts of different things. Um, And in one corner of the cafe, we had this small kind of merchandise shelf where we sourced local handmade goods. And while I loved doing all the other parts, I always really, really loved working with local artisans um, to bring their craft. We had pottery, um, we had some clothing, a few textiles, and I just always found that part really fascinating. Um, both the craft and the tradition that's there in India, um, as well as the different um, artisan stories behind the products. So that's kind of how I got started in in fair trade and handmade. Um, but I guess that would have to be more than 10 years ago because I stayed in India for about eight years. And when my husband and I decided to move here to the U.S., I knew that I wanted to bring those crafts back with me. And so we moved here um, to the Bay Area about five years ago, um, and we opened our first store in Berkeley, California. And we were still sourcing from India, but after a while, I realized that 
to really have an impact, my volume just wasn't enough for retail. And every time I went back to visit the artisans, um, you know, they would ask me, you know, it would be great if the order was bigger so we can help more people and support more artisans and give more work. Um, and that's kind of how the idea of Rover and Kin started is to really focus on sale so that we can grow and scale our business so that we can support more of the artisans that we work with. So I've been in touch with these groups for quite a long time and it was really fun and easy to visit them when I was still living in India. Um, but then after I moved here, I still went back every year um, to check in on them and to visit. I mean, that's one of the best parts of the job, I guess, is to go and visit um, and document the process, um, some of which is incredible. Um, I could have never imagined that a piece of textile could take so long from the spinning to the weaving um, and the printing. So the, our next collection will have some block printed pieces and the process can take up to a month just to create the print. Um, I was amazed because they first carve the wood onto teak wood blocks um, by hand, and then it goes through a series of printing um, and washing and resist printing, and then more printing and more washing. And so the whole process is just incredible to witness. Um, so I wanted to, to really highlight the, the kind of work that they do so as you were saying, Rover and Kin is a baby business. Um, we started just about a year and a couple months ago. And it's good that you think that we know what we're doing because we're definitely still trying to figure things out. Um, and it's, it's a fun process along the way. Um, in the past year, we have been able to get into about, I think, 70-some stores um, and, you know, just kind of learning what people want, um, and what designs are acceptable here, um, and what people are receptive to. And it's really encouraging to see that, you know, fair trade and handmade really matters to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, we're still trying to figure it out and, and just going bit by bit as a small business. Yeah. And I, I love that story of how Rover and Kim came about. Because while it is, like, while Rover and Kim is a baby business, like, I love your story because you... It, you're not a baby in like the entrepreneur space. And I love kind of the background of, I, I did not know that you owned like a little common ground community cafe. That's so awesome <laughs> um, in Northern India and kind of how that entrepreneurship uh, you know, opportunity led to another, led to another, and then kind of connected you with your passion for fair trade. And, um, and so today, you know, one of the things, that, and, and real quick, uh, explain the significance of the name Rover and Kit because I love that name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, coming up with a name is really hard these days because everything is taken. Um, but basically, I am the rover going from place to place, um, visiting the artisans. And after a while, the way I see our relationship as a business to the artisans is that they do become this big extended family. Um, and because I 
I see it as a relationship where we grow, we grow together as a family. Um, and each person in the family has a role. Um, and together we grow and, you know, become closer as the years pass and we work together. So <laughs> it's a very basic idea, Rover and Kin. I think it's awesome. Um, and you have quite a few kind of pillars of the brand that you've really kind of woven into the the business model. And and obviously, in addition to, you know, selling product, but you're, you're fair trade, so you focus on fair trade employment, but you also are really taking kind of this holistic approach and also, you know, Talk, you know, focusing on things like education and healthcare, capacity building, um, you know, microfinance and saving. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was always very attracted to the idea of fair trade because it's not a charity. It's not a handout. It's a sustainable business model that works for both sides. Um, and that was always really important to me that it wasn't a handout, that the artisans are proud of what they do and they grow alongside us and it's a mutually beneficial business partnership. Um, and so a little bit more besides the fair trade employment and our artisans do get paid around 35% higher than the average wage of that industry um, in India. Um, in addition to that, they have access to full health care, um, which includes eye camps and dental camps, which is really important because um, a lot of the artisan groups that we work with come from more disadvantaged backgrounds um, where they don't necessarily have access to services like that. Um, and then there's also different capacity building initiatives, which include computer training, um, design development, and several other resources that really can help small entrepreneurs um, thrive. Um, just a little bit more um, resources for them to improve the quality of work that they do. Um, and there is also um, after school tutoring in these kind of informal education centers. So like I was saying, in some of these more disadvantaged communities, the kids need a little bit extra help again, to really help them thrive. They don't necessarily have the, the capability um, in their own kind of family circle to receive help after school with their homework. Um, and they also help with school, school fees, um, book bags, and some basic supplies that they need. Um, so that definitely really helps a lot of the kids, like I said, thrive. And I've you know, every year I go back and talk to the artisans and sometimes they share these stories um, about, you know, how the father and mother may have never gone to school. But after working with our artisan partners for, you know, more than a decade, decade and a half, um, they have seen their kids grow up, finish school and continue with higher education for the first time in the family. And so you can see how through these resources um, and through all these benefits of fair trade that they're actually able to really kind of get out of that cycle of poverty um, and do incredible things with their lives. 
Um, and there's also microfinance, which I also find that quite fascinating. Um, our craft partner in India has given out um, quite a few micro lending loans for artisans and their communities um, to be able to apply for these microfinancing loans, which they use to open usually like fruit and vegetable stalls, um, different barber salons, um, just these small micro businesses. And that also has helped the community quite a bit. Yeah. And I think that that's just such an important approach. And I, I you know, this is a, and it, obviously something that I talk about all the time, which is that that idea that like fair trade values and, and really c- creating a holistic approach to eliminating poverty is really what is going to eliminate poverty and and create systemic change. And, um, you know, I think there is a time and a place for, um, for nonprofits and for charity, um, and charity can be good, but charity can also be really harmful when it's done incorrectly. And, um, and by really kind of coming alongside people and identifying like, what is, what are their needs? What are the things that they are, you know, what are the problems they're facing? Um, having those conversations, just kind of shutting up and listening, mm-hmm. and and then figuring out, okay, then what are the what are the things that we can do? Um, and 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 like you said earlier, kind of in your intro about how you realized that you really needed to scale um, what you were doing, and and create, you know, having your own little store wasn't getting to the point where you really could create kind of the margins and or the the quantity that you needed in order to scale and 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 grow the business and and have more impact. And so now as you have this this brand that you're able to do obviously both retail and and wholesale mm-hmm. um kind of arms of that you're able to to grow faster and have more impact. Um what do you think uh well actually before I ask that question, um I want to say like, like I mentioned in the beginning is, is your eye for design. Um, so I would love to know, like, do you have a design background? Where does the inspiration come from for, and I know that, you know, things like the dresses and the jumpsuits that you have are, you know, they're, they're like a, in some ways you'd you could say that it's kind of like a basic thing, but in a lot of ways, like you really do have just a very keen eye for what is a classic, look um the fabrics the colors the the cuts um are very classic and flattering um and then with the jewelry i mean the one of the joy i think it's that u-shaped one that i have um Mm -hmm. from you is like i wear that thing almost every day it's just one of those pieces (laughs) that just like it goes with everything um and your all your necklaces and earrings um bracelets like they just it's just really beautiful jewelry that can be dressed up, dressed down, all that kind of stuff. So where does the inspiration come for your designs? And, and do you have a design background? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely do not have a design background. Um, <laughs> it's just something I've done out of necessity over the years. Um, just learning Photoshop and a lot of the designs, honestly, is just things that I drew out. Um, most of the jewelry it has been sketched out on paper. Um, I send the designs to the artisan group um, and the design team in India that kind of works alongside them to develop the samples. Um, but like I, like you were saying, um, the designs are very simple and very 
much easier for them to make than some traditional pieces um, in terms of like bigger geometric, you know, kind of designs. It's actually simpler for them. Um, and on the design side, I really just kept thinking to myself um, to go with something simple and timeless. And so a lot of the clothing is cut pretty straight. Um, and I wanted to keep it more, more timeless, more classic, and not necessarily very fitted. Because um, trends come and go, of course. But if you look at the kimono, for example, I mean, it's been around for forever. And it doesn't go out of style because it is so classic. Um, and yeah, trying to keep the design simple. I think minimalism is something that's definitely very popular right now. Um, people are looking for something, an aesthetic that's clean, refreshing, um, and refined, and not necessarily, you know, with a lot of too much detail, too much design. And so it's made it a little bit easier for me in that respect. I'm taking a quick break from my chat with Wen to share with you something I am so excited about, and that is the fall collection from Seiko Designs. This collection is so incredibly gorgeous and you are going to be inspired by the richness of the season's colors like pebbled amore and oiled olive. This collection is not only a celebration of travel, but also a celebration of the journey within. My favorite pieces are the multi-way shawl in Leo, which I have worn on a date night and even traveling on an airplane. It is so versatile and can be worn in so many different ways. Also, the caftan and Chianti will make you feel like a gorgeous, queen and the black leggings might be the best black leggings I've ever worn in my entire life. Just trust me on this one. So in order to check out the gorgeous collection, go to SeikoDesigns.com slash Molly Stillman. That's S-S-E-K-O designs.com forward slash Molly Stillman. Now back to my chat with Wynn. And a lot of kind of designs come and go but then there are certain designs that just kind of always are around Mm -hmm. but then kind of just are shifted a little bit through the generations like you know like a basic kind of shirt dress has been around for decades but it just kind of gets elevated or um or toned down depending on kind of what's in style at that moment so you can kind of take a, a, a basic shirt dress or a basic tunic and you always know that women are going to want that. It just kind of depends yeah, definitely. on what, maybe what colors you use or, or prints or patterns. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that's a really great perspective. Um, and I yeah. love to know that about, like, especially with the jewelry is just it's all kind of just stuff that you designs that you sketch out or and send to them. And um, gosh, they're just it's, beautiful. It's been a learning process because at first I was sketching everything out. Um, and then I found that actually it's easier if I hand make the prototypes so I have been doing that too just experimenting with different materials um using clay because that's a very easy material for me to work with baking it or making it baking it and then sending the exact prototype to the artisans is actually a little bit easier for them than um than just a drawing so it's it's a working process progress you know to see what works best and how you know how to establish that that's yeah. so cool I mean I so did you uh I'm assuming that prior to this you were not exactly like a jewelry maker 
Uh, no, not really. It's, <laughs> again, it's something you just figure out you along figure the way. It out, yeah. And it's, it's kind of fun, you know, like you think there's all these rules to starting a business, but then every business is different. And then when it gets, comes down to the ground, you just, you speak, you know, I'm in communication almost every day to our craft partners. Um, you get to know what works for them. Um, and again, it's about listening, right? You can definitely always do things your way, but it may not be the easiest. Um, and so listen to them, see what works for both sides, but really having that ear and listening. Yeah. To see what works. Um, and then for the clothing, like I was saying, very, very easy, easy, straight cuts. And this is something that also, I have learned along the way because I have been designing clothes for quite a few years for my store, and I definitely went through a series of designs that, you know, were too big in the chest or too small in the hips because they were too fitted. And I have learned the hard way to try to keep the designs looser and more accommodating um, from trial and error. Um, and I, one more thing is I do want to talk about the people that weave the fabric and stitch our clothes, yeah. um, just because it's one of the most, um, amazing workshops that I've seen. Um, so our clothes are made in West Bengal, um, at one of the oldest fair trade co-ops, um, around in that area. I remember they started in 1984 because that's the year I was born. Um, when I went to visit, they showed me this very old leather log where people have been writing comments and leaving their feedback about, um, about the women's co-op since 1984. So you can like very delicately turn the pages all the way back to 1984 to 2019, which is pretty incredible all in one book. Um, but anyways, this co-op that's run by about 43 women um, you walk in and the air is just completely different. Um, it's, it's very calm. It's very gentle. It's all women. Um, it's a women's run co-op. So they decide, you know, who to take in for training, um, everyone's salaries and wages, which is all audited, of course, um, by fair trade standards. But it's completely self-run um, and self-managed by these 40-some women for the past 34 years. Um, and so before fair trade was, you know, becoming popular in this part of the world, it was already really thriving um, in different parts of the world, like India. And so when I went, I came with, you know, a couple of other people. And it's actually the men who walk inside that start to be kind of shy because they're surrounded by so many women and they obviously know what they're doing and it's their world. And so that was just always re really incredible um, to witness. And I, I loved going there because every time I go there, they teach me so much about textiles. It's like going to textile school. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's, it's really fun. They just start pointing out the small details of what I need to pay attention to when I design certain pieces. Like you should really watch out for the seams slippage. Like you want a thin fabric, but then this might not be as durable if you stitch it that way. And so I had no idea. It's actually very, very complicated. 
Um, but I'm glad I have our artists and partners on the ground there um, to kind of guide us through the process. So that's been incredibly helpful. That is awesome. I love hearing stories like that and just the the talent that these people have and the skill because I mean I don't know about you but I can't sew like my daughter I'm like anytime my daughter um like gets a rip or something in her stuff she's like can you send this to Bama which is my mother-in-law like her grandma to to fix and I'm like I can fix that like I can I can sew this basic thing but clearly it's like very janky looking <laughs> I took I took home ec but uh yeah I, it's not my my skill and and just yeah me neither <laughs> trying to like make I bought a I bought a sewing machine but I have yet to use it <laughs> I I don't blame you. It's totally fine. Um, I don't judge you at all. It's totally fine. Um, Well, when I, before we transition a little bit to the get to know you round, um, I just kind of want to get, you know, a sense from you, like, what is your vision, you know, your kind of your ultimate vision for, for this brand and where do you kind of hope to take it in the next, you know, either short-term future or long-term future? Yeah. Um, so this is definitely something I've thought a lot about, um, because our kind of five year plan is to grow and scale to a size where we can have a small team here in the U S and then I would have the mobility to be able to travel back, um, to our craft partners in India and really tell their stories, um, and work with our um, nonprofit partners on the ground, um, to work on different social projects. I mean, that's really where my passion is. Um, growing up, I always thought I would be involved in social work and I'm doing so very indirectly. And I would really love to be more involved on, on the ground, um, with those issues. Um, it's just as an entrepreneur and as a small business here, there's just so many things you have to tend to, you know, and unfortunately that becomes kind of the last, not, I don't want to say the last priority, but you know, it's something that our partners on the ground, you know, that's what they do and they do a great job. And what I want to do is really to tell those stories, but I don't really have the time or the capacity at this point. So that's the ultimate goal is to really, you know, bring those stories of impact um, to the front page. I mean, they've told us some incredible stories that I would love to share with the world that I think are kind of underrepresented at this point. And so, yeah, that's kind of the ultimate goal. That's awesome. And I know that you are going to be successful because you've already just done so many amazing things in the in the short time that you've been in business already um, with this particular brand, but you're just, your passion and your drive, um, your skill and your talent, all those things um, are just going to, I know are going to make you successful. Um, so when you, like I said, you're amazing. I could dote on you all day Thank about you. how awesome you are. Um, but now is actually the time of the show where we transition just a little bit to our get to know you round. So when are you ready? All right. I am. All right. Number one. Who would you most like to sit next to on a 10-hour flight and why? Oh, God. 10-hour um, flights. You know, the funny thing is I'm always that person 
who doesn't talk on flights. I I love flying. I really, it's one of my favorite things to do. People always complain about um, jet lag and long commutes, but one of my favorite things in the world is to be on an airplane because it's like you're in your own little world. You can't work. Um, and I kind of start getting this eagle's eye perspective of my life and then you know, it's just, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but anyways, if I had to choose, um, 10 hour flights, I mean, the first person that comes to mind is his holiness, the Dalai Lama, um, probably because I lived in Northern India for about eight years and I lived in the Tibetan community there. And he's just, he's a leader that not only everyone looks up to, but kind of the glue that held the community together. Um, so I just, that would be such an amazing privilege. And I've had friends on the same flight as him actually, but I've never oh, wow. had that privilege myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's like a big deal. <laughs> it is because it's, um, it's a one hour flight from New Delhi up to Dalamsala where his residence is. And there's only one plane that goes there. And it's a very small plane, very short commute. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, question number two, would you do anything differently or what would you do differently if you knew that no one was judging you? Ooh, <laughs> if nobody was judging me, um, let's see, I think I would wear sweatpants all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's totally um, a good I one. used to work from home and I didn't have a reason to really get dressed in the morning and, you know, put myself together. And sometimes I just, yeah, stay comfortable. It's one of the perks of being an entrepreneur um, and being your own boss is that you can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I would just not put an effort into, <laughs> into uh, stuff like that, I guess. Sweatpants. Sweatpants is the answer. I'm down. I'm down for that. Um, are you a big reader? Are you reading any books right now? Oh, gosh. You know, I am trying to get back into reading, especially before bed. Before We had this rule of no phones in bed. Um, I realized how much of a, a zombie we can become um, once you get glued to your phone and then you just ditch all the books. But I have... Um, started going back to the library and I am reading a lot of cookbooks because that seems to put me to sleep. Um, so Asian cookbooks, lots of Asian cookbooks these days. I love that. Is there a particular yeah. Asian recipe that you love to make? Oh God. Um, you know, I read the recipes, but I don't actually follow them. Um, <laughs> okay. Well maybe like Asian dish, <laughs> maybe is there a dish you really like is your favorite? Um, I have been trying different Vietnamese dishes, but you know, like I said, um, I think this has to do with maybe a lot of entrepreneurs too. You don't like to follow the recipe. You want to create yep. your own yep. <laughs> and it doesn't always turn out right. But when you do make it, you're like, ah, I came up with this myself by, you know, combining this recipe with that recipe. And then it became that half the time, most of the time it doesn't turn out. And you're like, Oh, I should have just done that. But when it does, I feel like that's a good metaphor for entrepreneurs, <laughs> not following recipes. I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, all right. And then my last question is what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? 
Hmm. What does it mean for me? Um, I think for me, it's always having a business with a purpose has always been at the forefront um, of what I do because I feel like without, without that purpose, it doesn't give me the drive that I need. If I am not helping people um, and if there's no meaning behind it, then I lose the motivation, um, you know, and the passion behind, behind the projects. Because, I mean, to be honest, as an entrepreneur, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Um, it's a lot of hours that go into it. There's no roadmap. And to keep pushing forward, um, you need, you need energy and you need drive. And when I feel like I'm working too much or working too hard, I think about some of our artists and partners in India and how hard they work. And it doesn't really compare, um, to how, how hard they work. For example, um, the, person I work with to do the prototyping and grading um, for our garments, he commutes about five hours a day from his village to the office. Oh my goodness. And, but that's not how, that's not the way he told me. The way he told me was it came up when he was talking about his trained friends. And I was like, oh, what are trained friends? And he was like, well, they're friends I talked to during, during the commute to work, which is um, two and a half hours to three hours each way. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's uh, crazy. <laughs> and he was like, no, it's, they're my train friends. Um, we, t- we talk, we hang out, we play games. Um, and we know each other very well. And so I was like, wow, that's an incredible attitude to have. Um, because they really find joy in what they do. Um, And that's always great to witness, like the people that I work with on a daily basis. I mean, we communicate through email, but they love their job and they talk about, you know, the things that they see and the transformations um, that they witness in front of them. And that's what drives them. And when they tell me and share those stories with me, that's kind of what drives us. Um, And so... Yeah, I think whatever it is in life, when you see what you do has an impact and is helping people in a positive way, um, it just keeps it just makes you keeps you going, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that story. That's a really inspiring story. And um, yeah, my commute is like six minutes and I get mad when it takes me (laughs) nine. And I'm like, like, it took me nine minutes to get to the office today. Um, Well, I I know Uh, when this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm just such a huge fan and I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Molly. It's been great. I'd love to know what you loved about this episode or maybe something that you learned. Let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Be sure to check out and shop the Seiko Designs fall collection at SeikoDesigns.com slash Molly Stillman. That's S-S-E-K-O Designs.com slash Molly Stillman. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. Don't forget to check out the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for your support. It means the world to me. Don't forget to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe button, which helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. This show is edited by my incredible husband and executive producer, John Stillman, with support from Kelly Dalton, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Go do something good with purpose on purpose. Mm -hmm.